Welcome to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. Chris shares don't sweat wisdom to help you achieve greater mental health, self-compassion, and better communication with family, friends, and coworkers. Listen in and learn simple ways to live your most vibrant life of joy. Introducing the new happiness training video course presented by New York Times bestselling author and podcast host, Christine Carlson of the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. Based on the early work of Dr. Richard Carlson, this digital course is designed to help people lead better, happier lives. In this five module video course, you'll learn the five principles that will change how you live your life and improve all of your relationships. Get ready to improve your life in all ways, from your career, at home, to your health and well-being, and in all of your relationships. This video course is inspired by the legacy work of Christine's late husband, Dr. Richard Carlson, that has helped millions of people all over the world lead happier, more fulfilling lives. This course will help you stress less and enjoy more. To learn more about Christine's new happiness training video course, Visit happinesstrainingcourses.com. Get happier today for only $19.99. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. This is Christine Carlson. Before we begin our interview today, let's go ahead and take our golden pause. So wherever you are, sit comfortably if you can. If you're seated in a chair, uncross your legs and place your palms open on your lap. And if you're seated on the floor, Sit Indian style and just lean back and get comfy, but with your shoulders back and your neck long. So you're a little bit alert when you're doing this. And of course, if you're driving, just pay attention to the road. Don't do this driving. (laughs) I always love to say that. And if you're doing an activity, just, you know, use this as a deep breathing exercise to connect to your breath and connect to your body. So let's go ahead and begin. Go ahead and breathe in through your nose, allowing your chest and your belly to fully expand. As you breathe in, take in that breath and just feel that breath all the way in your head, in your chest, in your tummy, and all throughout your body. And as you exhale, just go ahead and relax and let go. This time as you breathe in, Breathe in golden sunlight, pure golden sunlight to every cell of your being, to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers and toes, throughout your core, in your heart, pure golden sunlight. And as you exhale, just go ahead and relax a little bit deeper, settle in. And this time as you breathe in pure golden sunlight to every cell of your being, place your hand on your heart, activating your heart, opening your heart, and spend a moment just breathing in gratitude. Think of one thing that you feel grateful for. Could be just this breath right here, right now. And just breathe in that golden gratitude, filling your heart, filling your core, filling your head, filling your whole body with pure golden gratitude. Next, exhale and just settle in a little bit deeper. And let's take one last deep breath in. 
pure golden gratitude. And on the exhale, just go ahead and open your eyes. Well, I am so excited about this interview today because I have my favorite mindfulness teacher with us today, Dr. Shauna Shapiro. We're going to be talking about her new book coming out at the end of January called Good Morning, I Love You. And this is the only interview that I'm doing in this mindfulness series that I've been running. So this woman is just a very special woman to me. She is a clinical psychologist and internationally recognized expert in mindfulness and self-compassion. She's a widely published scholar whose TEDx talk, The Power of Mindfulness, has been viewed over 1 million times. She's a professor at Santa Clara University and a fellow of the Dalai Lama's Mind and Life Institute. Dr. Shapiro lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. So for more information on Shauna, you can find her at drshaunashapiro.com. Now, I'll warn you, Shauna's a really good friend of mine. So you might hear a little familiarity with us at some times because we are really good friends. So I'm very lucky to have good friends like Shauna. She's very, very special. And I am so, so excited to have her on and to be talking about her new, new book coming out. It has been said it's one of the most 20 anticipated books of 2020. And we've sure been anticipating it for a long time, haven't we, Shauna? Welcome. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> so I'm delighted me, to be here. Tell me the most fun part about writing this book for you. Well, it's actually interesting because the most fun part about writing this book was actually the very beginning. I made a commitment that I wasn't going to start writing unless I was doing it out of gratitude and joy. And, you know, I'm a professor. I had to go through the entire 10-year process and many, many years of studying. And so I'm used to pushing myself really hard. And you know that's true. <laughs> and so it was a radical shift for me to say, I'm not going to write unless I'm in the energy that I want to be communicating. And what was amazing to me is it took about three months before I actually started. And I had a contract by that point and a deadline. And so there was a little bit of pressure, but when I actually started, it was truly with joy. And it was this kind of sense of like excitement and wonder and mystery and playfulness. And the book kind of took over my life in a really positive, healthy way. Like I was living the practices in a much deeper way and I felt their benefits in a much deeper way. Oh, I love that. And I, you know, especially for the people who are listening that are aspiring writers and authors, I mean, that is such a profound gift that you just gave them to be in the energy that you want somebody else to be in while they're reading your words. I mean, that's, that's very, very profound. I would love for you to start with your story because your story is um, just really a beautiful part of your soul and who you are. And I'd love for our audience to be able to hear it from you, um, how you found mindfulness early on in your life. Mm, yeah. So when I was a teenager, I had spinal fusion surgery. Uh, so I had a metal rod put in my spine and it came pretty unexpectedly. I was kind of star of the volleyball team, most valuable player. And I had just signed to play at Duke University in college. And I went to my orthopedic surgeon who I'd been seeing since I was 12 years old for scoliosis. And it was just kind of a routine checkup. It had never really interfered with my life. 
And he said, your spine has curved so significantly that it's going to puncture your lungs if we don't operate. So I went from this kind of healthy, vibrant teenager to a few weeks later, lying in a hospital bed, unable to walk. And it was such a significant shift in my life. It was so traumatic, um, kind of having everything taken away. And I didn't have the tools to cope. And luckily, you were so young. I mean, that's, that's such a young age to be given such shocking news. I mean, of course you didn't. Yeah, I was so young. And I, you know, I, I couldn't even really understand everything that was happening. But after the surgery, kind of feeling how my body was in so much pain and that I couldn't walk and I, I couldn't even look over my shoulder, you know, and to go from an athlete to this, this invalid was, um, was so shocking. And fortunately my father, um, who I had had kind of a challenging relationship with most of my high school, he gave me a book on mindfulness called wherever you go, there you are by John Kabat-Zinn. And this book was so radical in its approach to life because its focus was on the present moment. And it said, no matter what's happened to you, the only question that you should focus on is what next? What, how do I want to meet this moment instead of focusing so much on the past? And if only this had happened, or I wish I had done this or on the future, you know, what's going to happen? How am I going to handle this? It was just about taking care of the present. And that felt manageable to me. So it was kind of moment by moment. And as I started practicing and reading about mindfulness, things started to shift. You know, I started to notice moments where I wasn't in pain or moments of connection with my mom. Or, you know, I remember one moment my mom opened the window and I could smell the ocean air and I could feel it in a way that I'd never felt in my life. Like everything kind of came into this, you know, full spectrum living. And so that really catalyzed this whole journey into mindfulness. Um, once I recovered a couple of years later, I went to Thailand and Nepal to study in monasteries and really just, it, it's, it's one of those moments in your life where everything changed and I've never looked back. That's amazing. You know, and so many um, of our stories that we hear are that we receive our life's calling and our life's path from oftentimes a tragic event that happens in our lives. And I think that's um, often very true for many of us, you know, that, that we come into the work that we do in the world um, through a back door, you know, like that, or maybe it's the front door. <laughs> but I love, I love that you share that story. Can you tell us a little bit about where um, your title of your book, Good Morning, I Love You came from? It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's from one of the most powerful practices I've learned and one that has radically changed my life. So many, many years after Thailand and Nepal, I was married and had a beautiful son and some years after that got divorced and my divorce was incredibly challenging um, in large part because I was so worried about what would happen to my son and also just in my family, marriage is sacrosanct. It's the most meaningful, valuable thing in this world. And so to have failed, um, you know, I, I remember just this tremendous amount of shame, self-judgment, and this sense that, um, you know, I'd ruined everything. 
And my meditation teacher at the time saw how much I was judging myself, beating myself up. And she suggested I start practicing kindness and self-compassion toward myself. And she said, how about saying, I love you, Shauna, every day? And I was like, no way. <laughs> it sounded so contrived and, you know, and I was a scientist and it, um, anyway, she saw my hesitation and she said, how about just saying good morning, Shauna? And try putting your hand on your heart when you say it. It releases oxytocin. It's good for you. She knew the science would win me over. So the next morning I woke up, put my hand on my heart, took a breath and said, good morning, Shauna. And it was kind of nice, right? Instead of the avalanche of shame and anxiety and fear, I just greeted myself with kindness. And I continued to practice every day. And it became this very sweet touchstone in the morning um, as a way to begin my day. And a few months later, I was at Esalen in Big Sur. It's a beautiful retreat center, but I'd never been before. And it was my birthday. And it was the first time I'd been away from my husband or my son on my birthday. I was completely alone. And I woke up that morning really early before the sun rose. And I went down to these mineral hot springs and I'm sitting in the hot springs and it's just kind of a magical place. There's these mists and the, you know, steam from the hot springs. And all of a sudden I felt my grandmother's presence, who was one of the dearest people in my life. And before I knew it, I was saying, good morning. I love you, Shauna. Happy birthday. <laughs> And in that moment, it was like the dam burst around my heart and I could feel this love towards myself. I could feel my grandmother's love, my mother's love, my own self-love. And I have practiced every single day since that day. It's been nine years. And, you know, some days it's hard and awkward and it feels raw and vulnerable. And some days I feel that profound love. And I trust that what I'm practicing is going to continue to grow. And so I keep practicing. I love that so much. And I also love my good morning. I love you texts I get from you. That's <laughs> <laughs> very true. I, I, as it's been amazing to see how the practice has evolved. So in the beginning, I started practicing for myself. And then, you know, when my son was with his father, I, I would miss him terribly. I'd wake up in the morning and I would start sending good morning. I love you to myself. And then to him and feel more connected to him. And then it just kind of naturally started spreading out into my friends and my family. And, you know, now with the TED Talk, more than a million and a half people have learned this good morning, I love you practice. And I've been astonished by the ripple effect that I'm getting emails um, from people I've never met in my life who are telling me these incredible stories of transformation from this simple practice. No, because most people probably wake up and start to beat themselves up right away since our thinking can be so negative sometimes. So it's actually just an amazing thing just to set your day in motion so that you're, you know, moving in the right direction. You're, you're, you're really taking your, the pin of the clock and turning it in the right direction when you start out that way. Absolutely. And in fact, what's interesting is, you know, the science shows that your mood first thing in the morning predicts your overall health. It actually predicts the length of your telomeres, the little caps at the end of your DNA, which are the best predictors of our health that we have. It, um, it correlates with the kind of health of your mitochondria, which are like the body's energy battery. So what you do first thing in the morning is incredibly important for your health. 
And like you said, most of us wake up and we either are judging ourselves right away or there's this pressure and this anxiety of, oh my God, I have to get this and this and this done. And to just pause and greet yourself with kindness. And then that also is a wonderful time to practice, to do many of the other practices that I include in the book, such as gratitude or intention setting or just basic mindfulness, because the mind is relatively calm and stable in the morning. So it's a wonderful time to practice. And I love what you say, what you practice grows stronger. That's the best. I mean, so much of um, life is really a practice. And certainly I, you know, your book is just full of beautiful practices, practical practices, simple practices that people can do. Um, You know, I'd love for you to talk about like define mindfulness for people because your definition is the clearest definition I've ever heard. So absolutely. And in fact, the, the line, what you practice grows stronger is kind of one of the foundations of my teachings. And I'll, I'll define mindfulness by telling you the story um, from when I was at a, a retreat center in Thailand. I was at this monastery. And up until that point, I was quite young still. I was about 20, 21 years old. I thought that mindfulness was just about meditation and that meditation was just about being present. And so that I was trying to train my mind to be present. And while that's very, very important, it's not all of what mindfulness is. So I arrive at this monastery and I don't speak any Thai and the monks don't speak much English, but I kind of understand that I'm supposed to focus my mind by feeling my breath go in and out of my nose. And so I begin one breath, two breaths, my mind wanders off. I bring it back. It wanders off again. And I start getting really frustrated with myself. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, why can't you do this? You're such a fake. And then I start judging not only myself, but all the monks sitting around me. You know, why are, why are they just sitting here? Why don't they do something? It was, it was not my best moment. And luckily this monk from England had arrived the day before and I asked for an interview with him because he spoke English. And as I shared with him my struggles, he looked at me and he said, oh dear, you're not practicing mindfulness. You're practicing judgment, impatience, frustration. And then he said, what you practice grows stronger. If you're meditating with judgment, you're growing judgment. You're meditating with frustration, you're growing frustration. And so he helped me understand that mindfulness is not just about paying attention. It's about how we pay attention with this attitude of kindness and curiosity. He also helped me understand that mindfulness wasn't just about when you were meditating, that you're practicing something all the time. What you practice grows stronger is not just when you're meditating, but in every moment. And so he helped me understand that the most important question to ask yourself is, what do I want to grow? What do I want to grow? And so that is what I call your intention. And so when I defined mindfulness, when I came back to the United States and got my PhD and became a professor, I created this model of mindfulness that included the three elements that I learned while I was there, which is intention, knowing why am I paying attention, attention, which is simply focusing in the present moment, and then your attitude, which is the quality of your attention, paying attention with kindness, with curiosity, with compassion. I love that so much. It is so clear. I also love it when you say that mindfulness is about seeing clearly. 
I have quoted you many times throughout this podcast series, (laughs) which is probably so nice for everyone to finally meet you on the podcast. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. Mindfulness is about seeing clearly. It's not about being enlightened. It's not about being perfectly happy or calm all the time. It's about seeing clearly what's true so that you can respond effectively. So you see clearly right now, oh, you're feeling a little sad. Then you meet the sadness with kindness and then you respond with wisdom. And so it's really interesting because a lot of people feel like mindfulness is about being calm all the time or it's about being present all the time or being happy all the time. I say, no, it's just about seeing what is. Mm. Not necessarily because you want it to be happening, but because it's already happening. And if I see it, then I can meet it and I can respond with wisdom. Yeah, I always say, um, you know, like the whole positive thinking movement. I mean, it's great. It's great to think positively, but it's like you can't actually really change um, a positive. You can't change a negative thought to a positive thought because the negative thought already happened, right? So <laughs> you can only change how you think in the in the future, not like what's in your past. So I love that. Let's um, let's switch gears a little bit and just share with our listeners some of the great benefits of mindfulness. Um, it says here, and you know, what's really cool is in her book, I'm reading it right now. There's psychological benefits and physical benefits and cognitive benefits. So this is a little chart in this book. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so you talk about increased happiness and in, in improved immune function. You want to talk about those a little bit? Well, you did it about the morning, like starting out your morning with a, in a good mood. We definitely, we definitely want both of those, right? We want strong immune functionings and we want to be happy. And what mindfulness does, what, what I love about it is I feel like it's this protective suit. And so you put it on and then it kind of, it up levels you in all these arenas. So it makes you physiologically more resilient and, you know, your immune system is strengthened. Your sleep quality is better. You, um, It lowers your blood pressure, your risk of cardiovascular disease. And then it also has these cognitive capacities where it increases your memory. It increases your ability to learn. It increases your emotion regulation and your um, capacity to think outside the box, kind of your systems thinking or your ability to be creative and innovative. In fact, we just published a study in the Harvard Business Review showing that mindfulness increases innovation and creativity. And then it also increases your happiness levels. It makes you happier, more joyful, more um, present with the beauty of life. Because the goal with any of these is not just stress management. It's not just to help you survive life. It's really to help you thrive. Yeah, I love that. It's just such a much deeper level of engagement. And and, um, also, I, I would say it's like a heightened sensitivity that you develop. In, in mindfulness. So, so that's amazing. I'd love to talk about the happiness set point and the science behind the happiness set point and how mindfulness impacts our happiness set point. Yeah. So the happiness set point is in psychology. It, basically what we've discovered is that people tend to stick to their level of happiness throughout their life. So it's kind of a baseline level of happiness doesn't really change much. And it's referred to as the happiness set point. And this was based on decades of research that showed if you win the lottery, you have this blip of happiness. And then one year later, you're back to your baseline, 
even more surprising if you're in a terrible accident at, even more surprising if you're in a terrible accident and you become paralyzed you have this huge dip of happiness and then one year later you're back to your baseline level so this is great news if you're born happy right you know life knocks you down you pop back up but it's not such great news if you weren't born happy, because then it's like, no matter how big your wins, no matter if you win the lottery or how much your successes are, it doesn't actually change your happiness level. What is so incredibly hopeful about the new research and a lot of the research in neuroplasticity, which we can talk about, is that even though external changes in our lives don't change our happiness, internal changes can. Richie Davidson, a wonderful neuroscientist says, Happiness can be trained because the very structure of our brain can be modified. And what he's referring to here is neuroplasticity, which is the fact that our brains have the capacity to change throughout our entire lifespan, that it's never too late. We used to think that the brain was static and unchanging. And once you got into adulthood, just, you know, you were stuck with how things were. And this, is, this revolutionary discovery, I think, is the most hopeful message we've had from science in the last 400 years, which is saying all of us have the capacity to change. It's never too late, no matter what your past, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter where you are right now, all of us have the capacity to rewire our brain for greater health, for greater clarity, and for greater happiness. That's wonderful news for us boomers who are so afraid of aging, <laughs> right? So it's wonderful news for all of us. I mean, exactly. it's one of the things that I find everyone resonates with, no matter who you are. When I tell people that science proves it's not too late and that it's never too late, you just see this light bulb go off in them and they're like, really? If there's a possibility I can change and and for me, I think that's, that's why I teach what you practice grows stronger because science proves it. If you practice gratitude, it grows stronger. If you practice generosity, it grows stronger. If you practice joy, you know, it, in my book, I have a whole chapter on exercises to actually cultivate joy because happiness tends to be kind of elusive for most of us. You know, there's something called the negativity bias, which science has shown that we tend to focus on the negative and evolutionarily we needed to do that. It's how we survived. It's how we protected ourselves. It's how we kind of were always scanning the environment for danger, right? We're descended from the anxious ancestors, <laughs> the ones who, when, you know, the leaves rustled, they were like, oh my God, I'm out of here. You know, the, the ones that were like, oh, let me see what it is. And let me pet the pretty kitty. You know, those ones died. The, the lion ate them. <laughs> so we're descended from these anxious ancestors. And now I believe we are in a place in our, in our humanity where we can start to counterbalance the negativity bias. And what it requires is that we practice paying attention to beauty, to joy, to goodness, even the littlest things, and that we learn how to encode this experience into our long-term memory. Because once it's in our long-term memory, it becomes part of our chemical soup and it changes who we are. And that's where you're talking about rewiring your brain. I just want to repeat the title of Shauna's book, Good Morning, I Love You, Mindfulness, Self-Compassion, Practices to Rewire Your Brain for Calm, Clarity, and Joy. 
I'm so excited for this book to come out. I know that this audience is going to love this book, as is everyone else. And, you know, I just have to really compliment your writing style, Shauna, because it's 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 really like I can hear you speaking when you when you uh, when I read it, and I love that when I can hear the author, especially when I know the author. It's it's just very attuned to who you are, and your voice really comes through. And there's just wonderful stories in the book. You know, it's not just this clinical science book. It's just this really beautifully written, um, just interlaced with beautiful stories. And she even has something in there about mindfulness and sex, which I know my audience <laughs> love. <laughs> Everyday magic from mindful sex to mindful eating. <laughs> I love that. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about mindfulness in the workplace before we um, close out our interviews. So yeah, just there's a story in here um, that I'd love for you to share about how mindfulness really impacted this um, this manager um, in his company or the CEO of this company. Mm, yeah. So it's been interesting. I've been doing a lot of work in um, kind of corporations and working with a lot of CEOs. Um, in part, I think mindfulness drew their attention because it makes employees more productive and more innovative and creative. And so it was really kind of helping the bottom line. But I think the added benefits of greater compassion and greater empathy and also greater capacity to pause this beautiful mindful pause in between the stimulus and the response allows us as i said before to see clearly and to meet the moment with greater wisdom and um, one of the executives that i was working with kind of was a hot reactor and and sometimes, you know, that a lot of CEOs, they're, they're very strong and they, they see things, you know, how they should be. And um, he told the story where um, one of his employees, she came in and she hadn't met the deadline and it, the project was taking a lot longer. And he was somewhat frustrated, but he'd also been practicing mindfulness a lot. And he said he noticed he was able to kind of stay relatively calm. And when she told him she wasn't able to meet the deadline, he was you know, able to just talk to her about what, what was left to be done and how they were going to handle it. And so he handled the conversation well and he was feeling kind of proud of himself. And as she was leaving, she was standing at the door and she looked back and she said, you know, thank you for, for not getting angry at me. Um, I, I wasn't going to mention this, but I, I wanted to tell you, um, my husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and we have two kids at home and it's, it's been really hard and I'm trying not to let it interfere with my work, but I just appreciated, um, you know, the, the kindness with which you responded to me being late on the project. And he said he felt in that moment, this is why I'm practicing. This is it. Yeah. That's beautiful. What a beautiful shift that he had. And, and, and that's, that's a gorgeous story. So, and parting with our listeners today, what would you what would be like your last parting wisdom about your book? And then we'll tell them where they can find your book. Well, I think the most important thing, there's two really important things that I would want everyone to take with them. And the first is that wherever you are is the entry point. That, you know, a lot of people wait like, oh, I'll do this later or I'll start these practices later, but it's right here and right now. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful quote from Kabir. He says, wherever you are is the entry point. So this moment, this is this radical moment where you can begin. And the beauty of mindfulness 
is that it teaches us how to practice in a way where we can actually change, where we can actually rewire our mind. And one of the keys is being kind to ourselves. That when we beat ourselves up and shame ourselves for not being good enough, it actually shuts down the learning centers of the brain. And what mindfulness does is it brings kindness into the present moment, which actually turns on the learning centers of the brain and it gives us the resources we need to change. And so what I find so remarkable and so hopeful is that mindfulness teaches us, number one, it's never too late. And number two, here's how. So thank you so much for hosting me. And I hope you all go out and buy the book because it will help you. Yeah. So the book can be found where, Shauna? DrShaunaShapiro.com or it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and independent bookstores. And if you go online, you'll find it right away. Great. Well, I know you're all going to love this book. I love it. Um, I've had the pleasure of listening to Shauna um, at SLM as a teacher and reading this book a couple of times now. It's beautiful. And it, it just, it really is a great teacher. It's simple, easy to read. Um, you're just going to love it. Thanks so much, Shauna. Love you. <laughs> Thank you. Chris. Love you too. <laughs> Do you want to lead a better, happier life? Introducing the new Happiness Training video course. Learn the five principles that will change how you live your life and improve all of your relationships. To learn more about Christine's new Happiness Training video course, visit happinesstrainingcourses.com. Get happier today for only $19.99.